The information contained in this podcast is general in nature and is not to be taken as financial or personal advice. It does not consider your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether this information is suitable for you and your personal circumstances before acting on it. Hi, and welcome to The Home Run, your guide to buying your first home in Australia. On this show, I'll walk you through the home buying process from every angle. We cover the steps to take, the pitfalls to avoid, and the answers to all your questions you've been dying to ask. No matter what stage you're at, you'll learn everything you need to know about buying your first home. I'm your host, Michael Nasser, and I'm a mortgage broker at Lens Street, and I really love helping people buy their first home. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Lan Tarr. Lan is a buyer's agent based in the inner west of Sydney, where she operates her buyer's agency, Chic Buyer's Agent. In our last chat with Lan, we discussed the process of how to conduct research when trying to find your perfect property. In our chat today, we discussed the important topic of putting together your purchasing property team. As a first home buyer, the prospect of buying your first home can be a daunting one with lots of twists and turns. A good way to try and negate this is by putting together a team of experts that can help guide you along the journey. In our chat, Lan and I mention all the relevant professionals that can help you along the way, as well as what to look for when picking one of these professionals so that you can put together your A-team to purchase your next property. Let's jump in. Lan, welcome. We are talking about putting together your purchase property team. Some people like to refer this as their A-team and the combination of people that are required to help someone purchase the home. What I want to mention at this stage before we get going is that when you purchase your home, first home or any home, you can effectively do it yourself. There are some people that you can't do it without and we'll get to those through the conversation. But for the large part, you don't necessarily need to do it in this fashion, but I would probably put forward the notion that it's critical to make sure you have an A-team around you because it can help negate some issues that you may foresee. And I'm sure you're going to have some experiences that you can share with us. But from a really quick summary point of view, like who makes up your A-team when you're going to purchase property? Well, thanks for having me on today. And I would definitely have part of the A-team. I guess would be the solicitor or conveyancer, the mortgage broker or the lender, pest and building inspector, strata report inspector if you're looking to purchase a unit, a buyer's agent, an accountant and financial planner are probably the short list. And it just really depends on the purpose of your purchase and your individual circumstance as to who you would use and who would be relevant and more help helpful for you. I think something else to consider is at what point, and I think what we'll do now is we'll just go through each of those that you've mentioned and we'll sort of mention at what point do you bring them in and what do they actually do and how do they form? I think there'll be a few that we can spend a bit more time on talking about because Mm -hmm. what they can do is a little bit more varied and some that will be quite brief. But let's start with who I believe is someone that you have to have regardless of whether you want to or not, and that's a solicitor or a conveyancer. (laughs) So tell us for somebody that's never really gone down the path of purchasing a home, at what point are you engaging them and why are you engaging them for the transaction? Typically, if you're interested in a property, you would engage them to review your contract. So that's the main thing. And before you start the process, it's actually good to narrow down who your solicitor or conveyancer will be, just because sometimes if it's going to auction, it can be quite time critical to get that reviewed and turned around. So they basically review the sales contract for you, ensure everything is pretty much hunky-dory. They will point out any concerning clauses and request any amendments for you via the vendor solicitor. 
They'll advise you of your legal obligations under the contract. So when it's necessary to make the required deposit payments or if there's any other action that you are required to do on your end as the purchaser. And then they'll basically take you through to settlement. So make sure you receive a draft settlement statement so that your bank can be ready as well and pay the necessary parties and they'll liaise with your bank and ensure there's visibility on settlement dates and payments required. So they're a really important part of the process. And you can't get away with it, right? You have to have a conveyancer if you're purchasing a property or a solicitor. Yeah. I don't know whether if you're familiar with reading contracts, you might forego, but as a first-time buyer, definitely it's, a must. it's important. How do you help determine maybe a conveyance or a solicitor that's maybe that's a step above or are there things that you look for and what would they be? Obviously, when you're looking for any contractor, a lot of the time you're getting a quote first. I would be cautious about going for a conveyancer that is a lot cheaper than market because as they say, you often get what you pay for, right? So although sales contracts can be quite the same with just slight variations, depending on which state you're buying in, the better conveyances, they will not only pick up issues, but they will pick up any opportunities where you can potentially save money. For example, negotiating lower interest rates, like so little small, easy wins that you can potentially throw in there and they can negotiate that for you. I would always ask about their turnaround time for a contract review. So that's important, especially if you're going to auction. And then I would probably test this as well. Like I usually test it by sending them an email and just seeing how long it takes for them to respond to you. Because that's obviously going to give you a great example of whether or not they're going to respond in 24 hours or within the day or 48 hours, right? And then ask them their contactable hours as well, because some conveyances, I've dealt with some that only work Monday to Wednesday, for example. And that's fine, but you just want to make sure that you can contact them outside of those hours if they're working part-time hours. Because if you've got an auction or if you're looking to purchase on a Friday or a Saturday, you want to be able to have them answer any queries that might come up in that time as well. So yeah, so just finding out their contactable hours and also communicate any expectations as well from your end. So if they do work part-time, can I call you? over the weekend? Or can I call you on the Friday that you have off? Things like that. And then I guess probably the final thing would just be, it's not a must have, it's just a nice to have if they're familiar with the location that you're buying in. It's sometimes helpful if there are any inherent issues that affect that particular region or area. And because they're dealing with so many contracts in that location, they know any questions to ask and they might raise any issues that they know of. It's a nice to have, it's not a must. Something else I'm mindful of as well is, And this will apply to a couple of the professionals, not just solicitors, but Mm. when you're purchasing property, you don't necessarily always buy the first one that you look at and you might be looking at multiples or you might attend a couple of auctions. And so you'd also probably want to find out how it works when it comes to reviewing the contract if you're unsuccessful, if there are fees associated with that or if they do a certain amount for free or as part of the service. I'm not sure if you see much of that or if you agree with that yourself. A lot of the time they won't advertise it because they don't want clients or buyers taking advantage of that free service. But a lot of the time you will find that they will offer up to maybe three or four free reviews, especially if you're buying in the same market, it's most likely going to be quite similar. So ask that question, it's usually available. They just don't like you to kind of... No, no, that's totally understandable. But being mindful of it too, because if there's a fee every time you need to be aware of it, you might be okay with it, obviously, but just to be mindful of that, unless you're one of the lucky ones to buy the very first property you look at. The next one that we'll mention is a mortgage broker or a lender. And I'll obviously Mm -hmm. get your thoughts on what they do. And being a broker myself, I can speak to a little bit more. The important thing is here that you've got the option of a mortgage broker or a lender. 
being at bank specifically, going to them directly or going to a broker, which is a different type of thing, but obviously in the same type of space. So what's your experience on that and what do they do and how do they help? Basically, your mortgage broker or lender, they will assess your borrowing capacity, which most of us would need finance to purchase a property. And so for brokers, they'll connect you with the right loan product based on your circumstances. Obviously, if you're going directly to a bank, they can only offer you what products are available with that particular bank that they're working for. Personally, I prefer to go through a broker just because they give you more options and they can provide you with some guidance on the best product for you. Because sometimes it's not always just about the best rate, it's the whole package that can be presented. And also everybody has different circumstances as well. So they can assess it on your current situation. And how do you determine a good broker or the difference between brokers? Like what are the things that you're looking for mainly? One of the questions I would ask is what does the broker specialise in and do they specialise in the type of purchase that you are carrying out? Because there are a lot of lending products. Obviously, I'm not a broker, but I know that there are definitely a lot of lending products out there. And so brokers, they can't know the ins and outs of every single product with every single bank. So having that specialty and knowing that particular products or a range of products within that specialty that they focus on will be able to provide a better service to you and have that more specialised, catered for your purpose. And then again, another thing would be the turnaround time. So just having a chat to them to see what their typical turnaround time is for getting a pre-approval and getting the loans approved and completed is important. Obviously, if you're making a purchase, it's really important to make sure that you're getting your finance in time and make sure that you know how much you can actually borrow. So that's important as well. Another one is probably a left to field and not a typical one is whether asking them whether they have any relationships with bank valuers. Because sometimes if a valuation comes back and it's less than the purchase price, for example, that might mean that you can't borrow because you might be topping out at your LVR. So being able to have a relationship with the valuer and being in a position to go, oh, but you haven't considered these sales or these comparables, often if you're in a position to do that and they will consider that, you can change the valuation. You may only need an extra 10K or something like that. That's probably like a little extra one that is nice to have, not a must. The way I explain it is when you go to a particular bank, you walk into one bank and it's effectively whatever their set of rules are that are applicable for their policy. Well, that's called policy in terms of yeah. what's their policy for figuring out how much you can earn and all those types of things. But when you go to a broker, it's like walking to 60 banks at once or 40 banks at once, and they can mix and match and find out what you require and what they can provide to you in terms of a lending option that's going to suit your needs. The policy is the biggest variance, but a broker effectively helps you map out the process from the beginning, ultimately. And funds are one of the most critical parts of the transaction. You've got to be able to afford it. Um, if you can't afford it, you won't go down the path. So your borrowing capacity is one component, but the other one is what we refer to as funds to complete. So your purchase mm -hmm. is comprised of your borrowing plus your savings. And there can be a bit of a strategy for first home buyers in particular, 
something like a guarantor loan scenario where you may not have the deposit, but there are still options and ways to get around that. And it also touches mm. on your point, which is asking your potential broker, do they specialize in this or do they have a lot of experience in this? And so obviously being a first home buyers podcast, have you had much experience with first home buyers? There are some brokers that don't like to work with first home buyers because they may mm. see them as needing more of that handholding or the guidance. And some brokers mm. may be focused in on investment properties, as an example, working with investors and that type of work. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of validity in the fact that you want to know that that broker has had experience in that particular space and that you're looking to purchase within because there are a lot of things and nuances within those niches that a broker that's doing it regularly will understand and know and work towards but they can be your guide in terms of understanding what you can borrow and your maximum purchase price and mapping out all the associated costs that come along the way that'll guide you to sort of saying yeah this is going to be possible and the other big thing about most mortgage brokers is most, not all, don't charge a fee. And so mm. a lot of this work, we often, it's a bit of a melting pot where they'll ask us a lot of questions because there isn't effectively a fee or usually a fee. I mean, that's not to say they don't get paid. They do. They get paid via a commission, which comes through via the lender, but brokers will be very transparent in mentioning that and, and articulating that and sort of saying, this is how it works. But to the client or to the potential purchase themselves, there is no fee. And so that's a good service that you can potentially utilize. And again, not going mm. into depth in terms of how the policy can vary between different banks. The other main thing that people are looking for is perhaps borrowing capacity. And every bank has a different threshold for how they assess loans. And so because of that, one lender may give you an X amount for a loan and another lender could give you another X amount of a loan. And maybe it's a bit higher and all of a sudden that becomes something that becomes favorable to you. The only main thing I'd say between bank and broker is that all brokers that work within Australia have to work under what's called the best interest duty. So it's a legal mm. obligation that are placed on brokers to ensure that they're acting in the best interest of the customer. It's not afforded to banks. Bank staff don't need to adhere to it necessarily. It's not to say that they don't, but as a broker, there's that extra level of threshold of compliance that they need to be mindful of. They can definitely help out and it doesn't matter which way you go, as long as you're able to get the funds that you need to get. The valuation things are spot on. And there are examples there where valuation comes in under and having a bit of a strategy. I think you'd ask your broker, do they have a strategy if it occurs? Because there are a lot of valuers out there and most often banks are contracting the valuation. So the lender that you decide to go with won't conduct the valuation themselves. They'll use another company and mm. that company has a whole heap of employees as well. So it's sort of going to be very lucky to make sure if you know the particular lender, but ask if they have a strategy to what happens if my property comes in under value, what would you do then? It doesn't happen very often, but there are, and that could be something we could discuss at another point as well, but definitely something to be mindful of, especially for first home buyers. And if you're buying stuff off the plan, or if you're buying something that's in a unit complex, which is maybe relatively new, being mindful of those types of things. But yeah, that's what a broker does. I think you're pretty spot on with, with what you've mentioned. And yeah, you'd be asking the questions I think that you've put forward. What are your niches? What do you specialize in? You can ask, do they charge a fee or do they not charge a fee? And communication is critical. The loan process is one of the most stressful parts because you're not too sure and you want to be making sure that you're actively hearing from them. So ask your broker, what's your communication plan? Like, you know, I know for us in particular at Lend Street, we have a policy where we speak to someone once every four days if we haven't mm -hmm. spoken to them in the course of the process, just because we know it's a nerve wracking time. You want to hear from us. You want to know what's happening. And it could be as simple as your loan's been submitted. It's currently in the queue and we've followed up and everything's progressing nicely. We'll keep you posted. And just being proactive in that regard to help you in that moment of hesitation or fear of nervousness or whatever that may be. And I was explaining the process actually to a client this morning and I was going through the whole motion and she's like, I totally get why my friend was stressed out when they did it. Now you mentioned it. And I was like, so it's like, yeah, it's, it is a pretty stressful time because there are so many things that you've got to go through. I think that's, that's pretty spot on. So that's pretty good for mortgage brokers. I think we've touched on quite a bit there. 
Let's talk about buyers agents and yes. what do they do and at what point are you getting in touch with one and why would you use a buyer's agent? A buyer's agent, basically, they're engaged to do all the legwork in purchasing a property. So it's a fee-for-service, but they act in the interest of the buyer. So similar to a real estate agent engaged by the vendor to deliver a service, which is to sell the property. So it works in that way where we act for the buyer. So a buyer's agent, at what point would you engage one? If you're time poor, if it's your first property, there's probably a few main reasons why you would engage a buyer's agent. And it's the time poor. If you haven't had any luck in the buying process so far, you've been searching for a couple of months and you haven't had any luck. Or if you've purchased property for, but you just don't enjoy the process and you're just thinking, you know, this time I'm going to make my life easy and I'll just engage a buyer's agent. So as part of the full service, the buyer's agent they would typically obtain the client's brief and then research the market, search a market for suitable properties that fit the criteria. They'll carry out all the property inspections for you as well and pretty much shortlist it. And you can either choose to go along to the inspections, all the inspections, or really just when you're happy with the kind of three or four and inspect those. And you're basically saving so much time And then after the property has been agreed with to go, yep, happy to proceed or happy to put an offer through, the buyer's agent would ideally negotiate the property on your behalf and secure the property for you, hopefully, as well. Also, do a bit of handholding as well for assisting throughout the DD process. So, you know, arranging pest and building report, strata report, liaising with a conveyancer, mortgage broker, getting any quotes for repairs even if it's required. So just really taking you through to the settlement process and alleviating some of that stress and the time element that comes with buying a property. How would you pick a right buyer's agent? Like what are the types of questions to be asking them? What are the things that you're looking out for? Understanding whether or not and asking them whether or not they work in the area for the type of purchase that you're looking to buy. So if it's a first-time buyer, obviously that's going to be your principal place of residence. And so I'm asking whether they're experienced in that particular region or if they've purchased for that particular type of property before as well. So being familiar with the area. Referrals, I find, are a really good way. So if you know of someone who has used a buyer's agent before, if not either through a friend or a family, it's actually good to lean on other service providers that you already have a relationship with because typically they would be really good. Like so, for example, if you have an existing accountant or a financial planner or even a real estate agent that you've dealt with before, they are in touch with buyer's agents typically as well. So most of the time they should be able to refer someone that they trust and have worked with. And then another thing, I guess, once you get in front of the buyer's agents, then talking to their past clients as well is probably a good way to see whether or not you fit. And, you know, sometimes it's not necessarily about the experience. It's also you need to be able to work with that particular person. Everybody's different and so we will connect differently with different people. So it's just having those conversations and seeing whether or not you can kind of connect on that level as well I think is important. Correct me if you think I'm wrong, but it comes to the location. 
I think a buyer's agent generally would have, say, a footprint that they prefer to work in. And what you're really doing as a first-time buyer or as anyone that's engaging a buyer's agent is you're leveraging perhaps their connections because you do it day in, day out. You probably know real estate Mm -hmm. agents. And depending on the nature of the market at any given time, and particularly right now, I mean, we're speaking end of May 2022, and the market's probably cooling, you could say, from a general point of view. And perhaps all properties aren't necessarily going to market. And so there's a term called Mm off-market or perhaps pre-market. And again, that's probably a topic in itself for another day, but really, really quickly. I mean, I feel like the right buyer's agent might have a good relationship with a couple of agents in an area and they might be able to put forward to you an opportunity that would be off market. But because they have that relationship, they're able to put forward to you something that you might not have seen on real estate or domain. I'm not sure if you agree or if you think that there's value in that. Definitely. So, you know, working with a buyer's agent who is familiar with a particular area and works within that space, definitely you'll have visibility over any off-market. So so basically you're getting access to any on-market, off-market, post-market, pre-market. Because a property might have been on the market, I don't know, a couple of months ago, and then the owners decided to pull it because it's had enough time on there. But the agent and you as a buyer's agent, you know that that property didn't sell because you kind of have the finger on the pulse in that area, right? So then you know that that property is still actually, there's a potential for that to be an option for your client. So yeah, there's definitely more opportunity to see what is not necessarily on market. But I also find like a lot of the value because there's so much competition and although the market has cooled down, the value is not necessarily or only in the off markets, but it's being able to secure the properties that are on market that there's such competition for and still being able to have those leveraged those relationships and still secure the property when everybody's happy. Because a lot of the time there are great properties off market, but there's probably a portion of them also aren't great properties because that's why they're not on market as well. There's pros and cons, but at the end of the day, yes, you have more visibility and access to properties that are both off and on. And it really depends on the actual property because sometimes I'll get agents calling me and saying, hey, you know, I've got an off market, like, do you have a buyer? And then I look at the property and I just think, well, obviously that's why you don't have a buyer because it's a terrible property. The second point I was going to raise, which was a real estate agent is a professional and they are not working in the best interest of the purchaser. They're working Mm. in the interest of the vendor. That's who their alliance is to. So when you walk in as a first time buyer or as a buyer, you're Mm. dealing with a seasoned professional. That's the real estate agent that's doing it every Mm. weekend of the year, pretty much bar a couple. And they're doing it, they're speaking to who knows how many people, they're being trained to speak to you in a certain way, they're being guided. Real estate agents don't just turn up and pretend to be nice. I mean, I'm sure a lot of them are nice, but they are there to do a job. If you're buying a property and you're doing it yourself, you go in yourself and you might think that you know what you're doing and you may very well know what you're doing. But on the other side of the equation there, you've got somebody that's a seasoned professional And Mm. if you think that's a fair matchup in terms of trying to get the most out of it, you may think that it is, but the reality of it is statistically is you probably are at a bit of a disadvantage. But you throw in a buyer's agent into the mix who they themselves work on the same side as the purchaser and Mm. do it week in, week out. It balances off the game a little bit and it gives you more of an opportunity, which speaks to what you were mentioning, which was you're able then to negotiate it. And that could be an on-market property because there is a perception, I think, that pre-markets or off-markets are going to represent more value. They might Mm. not necessarily do that. They're not going to be Mm. cheaper by any means. And I think that's probably an illusion that buyers fall into the space. Oh, you can get me something off-market that's going to be cheaper, whatever it may be. But the reality is you can at least put yourself in that situation with somebody there on your side of the ring that's going to be able to Mm. fight for you and get you the best outcome, which could be 
finding the right property for you at a favorable price or at a more favorable price, whatever it may be, but it does balance up the equation and having that professional alongside you will only help, I believe, and not hinder you. I think that's all for buyer's agents. The next one, and you mentioned that buyer's agents do, will facilitate, and I think the solicitors may do this as well. It's a building and pest inspector. And so I guess they're really critical. What do they do? At what point do they do it? And who's generally engaging them? So once you've selected a property that you're interested in purchasing, you would engage a building and pest inspector to go out and do a report for you. So they'll identify whether there are any major defects with the property, the condition of the property. They'll highlight any areas requiring attention or rectification. So with this information, it's good to know so that you can understand what costs you will incur down the track or whether you wish to proceed at all if they find major issues. They can pick up any pest or termite activity, whether active or previous, and whether there's any protective barriers in place as well. So with this information, you can then go back to the vendor solicitor and request certain documentation as well. So for example, whether or not there's a previous record of termite treatment being made for the property and whether it's ongoing. So so yeah, it's really important to actually get this information before you proceed. I assume as buyers agents, they could facilitate that. Does the conveyancer ever facilitate that or is it best that the individual themselves, the purchaser, facilitates this? If you haven't engaged a buyer's agent, you as the purchaser would, you would probably get some guidance from your conveyancer to say, recommend that this be done. And they may have contacts, but often I've found that if you're purchasing on your own, then you pretty much just need to go and find a pest and building inspector to carry out for you. As a buyer's agent, you would expect, well, as part of my full service anyway, I would engage the pest and building report for the client as well, and then speak to the inspector once the report's been completed. I think the interpretation of that report is just as critical as getting the report. So you've got to be sure that you're understanding the contents of the report. And that could also be assisted with a phone call to help walk you through it as well. A lot of the time you would ask them, can I give you a call after you've completed the report or like after you've completed the inspection? And then just ask them if there's any kind of red flags. So at least you can know, okay, no, they haven't found anything or yes. And what are the key red flags? And then you at least can be armed with some information or be ready to act, especially if you've got a looming auction or you want to get the contract signed quickly, but you need to firm up some information or get some documentation. Something I see from time to time is when you go to inspect the property, the real estate agent might have already pre-organized a building and pest inspection. Now, what are your thoughts on that? Is that okay to do? Or do you feel like it's best to get somebody independent of the transaction at that particular point? I would always get my an independent, although real estate agents, they can be trustworthy, but again, they're acting in the vendor's best interest. If they have a report for you to review and read, but I will always get a separate one. This is a key report that you need to get done because it will enable you to be in a better negotiating position as well often. So I think it's really important to get that independent advice. A strata report inspector, who are mm. they and why am I getting a strata report and when am I doing it? So again, if you're purchasing a unit, then you would engage a strata report done on your behalf. A lot of the time, the vendor would have also secured a report, but you can actually purchase it from the inspector themselves. But at least because it actually, it's quite time consuming to have the strata report completed because it's a lot of data and data analysis or also reporting of data. So usually with the pest and building report, they can be out there, it'll take an hour or an hour and a half to actually complete the report. 
sorry, to do the inspection and then complete the report that day. Whereas with the strata report, often it can take a little bit more time. So that's something that's usually arranged before. So you can purchase that. And basically the report will tell you if there's any major issues or repairs that are current or any historical issues of the building. You'll be able to see the budget and if the building is in a, in what kind of financial position the building's in, whether it's in deficit, whether there are any major repairs coming up. So typically there will also be like a 10-year capital projects program in there. So this might be important for you if it's an older building, for example, and just say the budget's in deficit, then you can likely expect that there'll be special levies raised, which will cover these repairs. So it's just having this additional information to let you know that, okay, and that's fine. These things will happen. This is normal, but it's just being aware of, okay, I need to just factor in an extra couple of thousand dollars over the next few years for these potential repairs. It'll also highlight any legal issues or disputes that are happening with the owner's corporation. So this, if you're buying into a unit development, I would definitely recommend for this to be one of the reports that you get. And you can also get your conveyancer because obviously it's quite a lengthy document. So you can ask your conveyancer to have a review and they will be able to just review the, the major key items and just raise any issues, any kind of you know red flags as well. Is the person that does the building and pest inspection the same person that does the strata report or are they two separate professionals? Two separate people. Usually they're, they're different specialties. And obviously if you're buying a unit, you're not getting a building and pest inspection done, I imagine, because the strata report will have the information for the building that will inform you as to the quality of the structure and things like that. So you would get the building report. So the pest report are not necessary, but you would get a building report, but that building will be for that unit alone. So okay. they'll go to the unit and they'll inspect the inside and yeah. make sure that everything looks fine. And then separately, you'll get the strata report, which will talk through the whole building yeah, okay. and common areas. The last two that we're going to be discussing are probably not necessarily first home buyer specific unless you are going to be an investor. So your first property will be a property that you're going to rent out but they are obviously really important potentially. And so speaking about them is critical. So the first one is the accountant. So I guess, what does the accountant do when it comes to property investing and how can they mm -hmm. help? And at what point would you engage them? If you're looking to build your portfolio out or invest in property, the accountant is a really good resource and contractor to engage. They, a tax specialist is really good for, because accountants, like they also have their specialties. Going to someone who specializes in tax is great to have on your team as they'll be able to help set you up in the best way for future planning, especially if you also run your own business or you have other sources of income. So just being able to structure your property that best will suit your individual needs and help obviously to minimize your tax. Yeah. Because obviously once you're investing in property, you have other sources of income, the higher tax you'll pay. So just being able to obviously minimize your tax, I'll be able to give you some guidance on that. And not necessarily a first home buyer's main area, but if that is something that you're considering, I think an accountant and a, or a tax specialist um, when it comes to property tax, understanding that could be very beneficial. The last one is, I guess, similar to mm. an accountant in some fashion. It's a financial planner. Again, I would imagine it would be an investor. It could be a first home buyer too, but an investor in particular, what's the financial planner helping with and how are they assisting the clients potentially? If someone says to me they are looking to grow their wealth, I would highly recommend engaging a financial planner because a lot of the time it is in the planning and it's not an immediate thing. And often, especially first-home buyers, you need to help plan for your future as in savings and all of that kind of thing. And having a financial planner who is pro-property 
is probably good and makes sense to have because often there's different financial planners. Some specialize in funds like shares. So having somebody who is pro-property or knows how to deal with property and includes that as a part of their wealth building and future planning strategy for you is good. And knowing property, which means that they can also do some financial modeling for you with different scenarios. So whether you're looking to, for example, a lot of the time I have clients asking whether or not they purchase their investment property first or their home first, or like two investment properties or their principal place of residence. And, you know, so having a financial planner who can do some property modeling for you, will be able to model those out and go, actually, yeah, this makes sense for me for where I am and where I want to get to. I think it's much in the name of financial planner. Like they'll help you plan your finances going forward. And yeah. I think, yeah, you raise a good point, making sure that they're property focused. So that way they can help you build the plan. And if it is a long-term strategy and you are looking to build wealth via property, then yeah, you should start that sooner rather than later and then speak to the right professionals in that space. If you're just looking to buy one house and then potentially upgrade to another, maybe not so relevant, but if you're really looking at making it an income generator for you long-term and there is that plan to be invested in property, I think being able to map it out and forecast what you may or may not do will help you Mm -hmm. greatly. So we spoke about solicitors, mortgage brokers, lenders, buyers, agents, building and pest inspectors, strata report inspector, accountant and financial planner. Of those Who do you think are your must-haves? Definitely the conveyancer and the mortgage broker or lender because obviously we need money. (laughs) And then the pest and building report I think is also another must. And if you're purchasing into a unit, the strata report inspector as well. I think those are kind of the four key ones to always include, whether you're doing it yourself or not. Then obviously the others, including a buyer's agent, is just really case by case and up to the individual and their individual needs and whether you believe you need assistance with a particular specialty. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Lan. That was great and we went through a lot, so I appreciate it very much. No problems. Happy to talk again and we can do it again. You've been listening to The Home Run, your guide for buying your first home in Australia. This podcast was produced by Lens Street. Lendstreet is a mortgage broker and home loan specialist that helps first home buyers find the right loan to meet their needs. We know applying for a loan can be overwhelming and complex, so we help guide and support first home buyers through the process from start to finish. To find out more, head to our website, lendstreet.com.au. We've also put a link in the show notes. To make sure you don't miss an episode of The Home Run, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Michael Nasser, and we'll be back next episode covering another step on the journey to owning your first home.